Let me invite you to take out your Bibles and turn them open to Mark chapter 1 as we continue our study of this gospel, Mark chapter 1. Tonight, we're looking at one of those passages, just reading it and reflecting upon it over this past week. It's one of those passages that just reinforces why I love Jesus. It's one of those passages that if you and I sit with it long enough and we kind of sink into it, it it will remind each and every one of us of just why we love and trust Jesus. My prayer as we look at this wonderful story is that our, our, our love for Jesus would be kindled, would be uh, reanimated, would be deepened because this is a story, this is a, a moment where we see Jesus' love in a very warm and astounding kind of way. For those of you who may have gathered with us tonight, and maybe, you, maybe you, write, you don't identify yourself as a disciple of Jesus. You do not see yourself as a Christian in that sense. You've never put your trust in the gospel. You've never believed in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And if that's the situation tonight, let me encourage you to step into this story with us tonight with, with an open mind and, and let, let what Jesus does here for what may be described in the life of one who's an ultimate outsider. What Jesus does for this guy in this moment, let what he does here transfer into your life so that you too can come to know the love of the Savior, so that you too can come to trust the love of Jesus. This is one of those passages that really boils Christianity down to what matters most, focusing us on the love and the service of our King Jesus doing incredible things in the life of this guy. There was a man by the name of J.C. Ryle who was reading through this story and others where Jesus brings healing to uh, lepers, and, and this is what he says about them. He says, of all of our Lord's miracles of healing, of all of our Lord's miracles of healing, and you read through the Gospels, there's a lot of them. Jesus does a lot of amazing things in the storyline of the Gospels. But of all the miracles of healings that we read about, he says none were probably more marvelous than those performed on leprous people. None, perhaps, were more marvelous than what Jesus does on on and for leprous people. You see, what you have going on here in this moment is you have the ultimate outsider. You have this leper coming in contact with God incarnate, the ultimate insider. And when that contact Contact happens, things change, and Jesus leverages his love in a way that should astound all of us. I mean, you just consider who this leper is. It says in verse 40 that a leper came to Jesus, imploring him and kneeling. He said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Understand that lepers in the first century, they were the ultimate outsiders for several reasons, one of which is I'm sure you know that lepers were physically disfigured people. They were not attractive. They looked like their disease. They were not healthy. They were quite shocking in their appearance because the way this particular disease and those like it would manifest themselves in a person's body. And so this leper was physically disfigured. Now, when it comes to that word leprosy and leper, understand that that is a label that could apply to about 72 different types of skin conditions in the first century. They applied it widely, 
But most likely what is going on here, what's, what's targeted in the life of this person, because in Luke's account of this same story, when Jesus looks in his direction, he sees a man who is covered in leprosy. You, he, he's in a, an advanced stage of his disease. So it's probably something along the lines of Hansen's disease that this person is suffering and struggling with. Hansen's disease is, is the name we have given leprosy in the modern era because of the guy who diagnosed it and figured out what was going on in the body of those who had this particular kind of infliction. The guy who discovered this said that, you know, when a person suffers from Hansen's disease, that, that's a disease that attacks the nervous system in a body. And eventually it renders our senses dead. It numbs our senses. And what happens when that disease inflicts someone is that they're unable to tell when they're feeling pain in any part of their body so they can get cut, they can get bruised, and, and they don't know the danger that they're in because their body isn't sending the warning signals, signals to their brain so that they know something's not right. It is said today that in third world countries that people struggling with Hansen's disease are struggling with leprosy. It is said that there are times when a leper will go to sleep and vermin will come in and begin chewing on their body and they'll never know it. They can't feel it. Their senses are dead to it. And so it's a, it's a devastating condition. A leper was someone who's physically disfigured. Their, their body was literally deteriorating. They, they were falling apart. One writer said that leprosy was like death by inches. Your body is disintegrating when you're inflicted with this type of disease. It was such an intense disease that there really was no known cure. It was regarded as an incurable disease. Some said that if, you, if somebody was able to cure someone with this particular infliction, they would be able to raise the dead. It's that type of impossibility. It's that type of overwhelming disease. A guy by the name of Josephus, a Jewish historian, writing back in the day very close to this day, he said in no way was a leper any different from a dead person. Rabbis in the early days of the first, second, third century, they would, talk about, they would talk about lepers, those who had this particular kind of infliction, and they would say they, they, they were the living dead. They were the original walkers, so to speak. The walking dead, just walking up to Jesus. This is what's going down here. This is how they were viewed. They were, they were, the, they were death incarnate. They were physically disfigured. And because they were physically disfigured, that had huge ramifications on their social interaction. They couldn't find community. So not only were they physically disfigured, they were socially isolated. They were ostracized and banished from society. This is what we read earlier in Luke, Leviticus chapter 13. And in the Old Testament, you have two chapters that really go after uh, these types of conditions and talking about the effects that they have on people's social life and on their spiritual life. And in Leviticus chapter 13, beginning of verses 13 and 14, we read earlier that the person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkempt, Cover the lower part of his face and cry out. Every time someone came around, they were to cry out, unclean, unclean. And understand, they were not identifying the other as unclean. They were identifying themselves as unclean. They were saying, don't come near me. I am unclean. This was their label. This was their definition. This was their reality. 
And then he goes on to say, as long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live, get this, make note of this, he must live outside the camp. So he was banished from community. He was kicked out of towns. He was kicked out of cities. He could not go where anyone else was present. This means that a leper could not interact with his friends or his family. He could not have a job. He could not contribute to society in any discernible way. He was socially isolated. And to be socially isolated in the first century Jewish world meant to be spiritually alienated as well. And this is where his condition gets very intense. He's physically disfigured. He's socially isolated. And then he's spiritually alienated. Because he could not go where other people were, this guy could not go into the synagogue. He could not join the worshiping community. He couldn't participate in the worship activities of Israel. So he was spiritually alienated. He was a loner, living on his own, ostracized and alienated in every conceivable way. And because of this, this makes leprosy a little bit of a a unique condition when you read about it throughout the scriptures. You see, leprosy wasn't like other diseases that you see Jesus healing in the Gospels. You see, other diseases required healing. And so if someone came to Jesus because they are paralyzed, which we'll read about next week, they came for healing. They knew Jesus could restore their health in that physical sense. But notice what the leper says to Jesus when he approaches Jesus. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. So he doesn't necessarily ask for healing. He asks for cleansing. And elsewhere throughout the Bible, when leprosy is talked about, you don't hear it talked about as something that people need healing from. You hear it talked about as something people need cleansing from. And that puts leprosy in kind of a unique category leprosy required cleansing and all of a sudden you were brought into the language of salvation you were brought into the language of worship you were brought into the language of the ceremonial law in the old testament so that if you were going to approach god in relationship if you were going to join others in worship you needed to be purified cleansed And so every worshiper would go through a series of sacrifices and they would identify with the sacrificial system in Israel as a way of being cleansed, being qualified to approach God in worship. This is something the leper could never do because his disease prohibited him from identifying with the rest of the people of Israel. So he comes to Jesus and he doesn't just ask for healing, he asks for cleansing What you begin to find here is that this whole picture, you know, you might read this story and perhaps you're you're kind of sitting, sitting there thinking, well, that's cool for his situation, but I don't see any lepers really sitting in this room. Is this story really relevant for us? Is this a story that we can really be drawn closer to Jesus through? I mean, we're not lepers. We haven't, we don't, we haven't experienced reality the way that this guy experienced it. And I I understand that, and, and I want to encourage you to think about how Jesus thought about this dynamic. You see, leprosy was a disease that worked from the outside in, right? Starts with physical disfigurement. 
Something shows up on the skin and you begin to see something's not right with this person. And so physical disfigurement kind of sets in first. And then that kind of moves that person towards social isolation, which results in spiritual alienation. It kind of works from the outside in. But understand that when Jesus advances his kingdom through the gospel of Mark, he doesn't approach people from the outside in. His kingdom isn't a kingdom that moves from the outside in. His kingdom is a kingdom that moves from the inside out because Jesus understands the true nature of the human condition. So that later in Mark chapter 7, when Jesus picks up the language of cleansing and defilement, this is how he talks about it. And he talks about the human condition in a way that closes the gap between you and me and this leper. I'll remind you, Mark chapter 7, he's talking there in verse 14. The passage will flop up on the screen. He says, and he called people to him again and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him or what render that person unclean. And then he goes on in verse 21, For from within, out of the heart, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So what you and I need to understand as it relates to the relevancy of this passage and why this story should drive us into the loving arms of Jesus is because all things considered, that leper and other lepers you read about in Scripture, those lepers serve as living parables reflecting the fallen human condition. Lepers are living parables of the fallen human condition. The difference is, although their disease worked from the outside in, the fallen human condition is something that works from the inside out. You see, we enter the world spiritually alienated, don't we? We enter the world separated from God in need of redemption, in need of transformation. We enter the world spiritually alienated. And it is our spiritual alienation from God that results in our social isolation. So that all of a sudden we're living in a world where people can't get along. We're living in a world where people ostracize and are ostracized. We're living in a world where cultures do not complement each other. Cultures clash with each other. Violence and injustice and oppression plague human relationships. We are socially isolated. We do not engage life the way God intended it because we are spiritually alienated. And so then you just trace that logic on down. Spiritual alienation resulting in social isolation. Human beings can't get along. Community can't exist well. And then it moves us one step further into ultimate physical disfigurement, which is death. We are told all throughout the biblical worldview, the worldview that Jesus operated from is that the reason death exists is because sin is a reality. Physical disfigurement, taking the ultimate form of death. So when you consider this leper's life in this moment, he is a living parable of the fallen condition. He's a reminder of how sin disfigures our humanity. Sin disfigures our humanity, and this means we're all outsiders in desperate need of cleansing. 
This means his situation is our situation. He is us. He's a mirror in which we are intended to look and see ourselves. Now, I know that 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 statement and that perspective, I know that's not popular. It's perhaps causing some of you to cringe right now. Am I really that pessimistic about the human condition? Was Jesus really that pessimistic about the human condition? He was. And so I understand that that we want to push back against this. This is culturally uncomfortable. This line of thinking is not in vogue today. And sometimes we want to assume, well, that's because we live in 21st century Seattle. That's just not how we think naturally here in the city. And we sometimes want to get into kind of a cultural elitism that, that assumes that we're the first ones to really kind of push back against that idea that, that we have this view of the human condition that it's so negative, it's so pessimistic, but it must be unique to our environment, our day, our city, our culture, our context. But I assure you, the human heart has always pushed back against this understanding The human heart has never received this message naturally well. I'll take you back to the 7th to the 18th century. There was two ladies who attended an event, uh, an evangelistic event, a preaching event. There was a guy by the name of George Whitfield who was a very popular preacher, communicator of the gospel. And he would travel throughout England. He even came over to the States and he traveled throughout our country preaching sermons in various places. And thousands of people would come out to to listen to him. He was such a, a gripping orator and people wanted to hear him preach. Well, there was this one Christian patroness by the name of Lady Huntington and she wanted to go. She was a believer. She wanted to attend this event, and so she invited one of her friends to come along. So she reached out to a lady known as the Duchess of Buckingham and said, hey, why don't you come hear this guy preach? Let's, let's go to this event. And she said, okay, I'll go with you. And so the two ladies went, and they sat under the same teaching. They heard George Whitfield share the gospel. Lady Huntington responded positively. She loved Jesus as a result of the gospel she heard. But the Duchess of Buckingham, she did not respond that way. She did not respond very positively. Instead, when they walked away from the event, the Duchess of Buckingham looked at her friend and said this. This is 18th century. She said, it is, a monst- it is, it is monstrous to be told that you have a heart as sinful as the common wretches that crawl the earth. This is highly offensive and insulting. And I cannot but wonder that your ladyship should relish any sentiments so much at variance with high rank and good breeding. That's 18th century. You could hear people voicing the same objections today all throughout our culture, all throughout our context. And do you know what I think that's a sign of? When we push back against this reality, when we push back against the fallen human condition, when we become insensitive to our need for a Savior, that is indicative of our identification with the leper. Just as his physical condition deadened his senses so he could not feel how desperate he was, Spiritually speaking, it is possible for a person's spiritual senses to be so dead that they cannot sense their need for a Savior. That we don't know we need cleansing. We don't know we need help. We're inflicted with a type of leprosy that that keeps us back from coming to Jesus and receiving what he wills to give. 
of being cleansed, of being redeemed, of being restored, of receiving the touch that Jesus gives to this guy. This is what I love about this moment is because this guy realizes he needs help. And so in his desperation, he runs to Jesus. He violates every social custom. He violates every normal expectation. He breaks so many taboos in order to get to Jesus. He's supposed to stay alone. He should not approach anyone because if he approaches anyone, he could render them unclean. It was believed in the first century that if a leper was doing something as innocuous as living under a tree, if a clean person or a non-leprous person walked under that same tree, it could transfer some type of defilement to them. Unclean lepers did not interact with other people because they could render them unclean. But this guy, this guy bells on all of that and he comes in desperation to Jesus. He senses something different about Jesus. He's hoping Jesus will do something about his situation. So he approaches Jesus and he says in verse 40, if you will, you can make me clean. But look how Jesus responds. Verse 41, Jesus responds with utmost sensitivity. Utmost sensitivity. Verse 41, he turns and he sees this guy in his condition and he understands what leprosy represents in the world from the biblical standpoint. And so he's moved with pity. He's wrenched in the gut. Now, some of your translations may say that Jesus was moved with compassion. And that's a good translation, but it doesn't really capture the full sense of what's going on in this moment. There is a reliable textual tradition behind this passage that says not only did Jesus respond with with compassion, but he responded with a type of anger. And I think taking all the things that we know about the Gospel of Mark together, reading through some of the, the, the text and the various things we have to get to this understanding of the Gospel, all things considered, what's happening in Jesus is, could be described as compassionate indignation. It's compassion and indignation. He looks at this guy and he sees him in a state that is unworthy of anyone created in the image of God. indignation, unworthy. He sees this guy in a situation that is unworthy of anyone being created in the image of God. It's a very similar reaction that God gives in the Old Testament. Judges chapter 10, verse 16. We're told that God looks out upon the misery of Israel, the suffering, the sin, the struggle of Israel, and it says God became indignant when when he saw their misery. This is the type of reaction Jesus is having in this moment, compassionate indignation. It's very similar to what Jesus felt in John chapter 11 when he came face to face with the death of a friend. He saw death claim a person he loved, Lazarus. And when he shows up on the scene, it says that he was moved with pity. He was struck with compassion. But the story goes on and it says before Jesus spoke to raise Lazarus from the dead, it says that he snorted with anger, indignation. Death is unbecoming of anyone created in the image of God. Death is unbecoming of any person created in the image of God. And when the Savior looks out upon the fallen human condition, you know what he's moved by? He's moved by compassionate indignation. 
it bothers him. It wrenches him so that he then goes to act. It drives him to do something about our fallen condition. It drives him to remedy that which has gone, that which has gone wrong in the world. And so it says he's deeply moved. He's moved, with, he's moved with pity. And then look what he says. He stretched out his hand and notice what he does. Jesus stretches out his hand and touches the leper. He touches him. This is a remarkable moment. I mean, just think about the love that leper felt when he felt the touch of another human being for the first time in who knows how long. Jesus reaching his hand out and touching the leper. Now, you know as well as I do that Jesus could have healed this guy from a distance. He could have spoke a word. He could have done something else to bring healing into this person's life. He did not have to touch the leper, but Jesus told, chose to in this moment because Jesus understands where this guy is coming from. He knows that as a leper, he's been without human contact for, since his disease showed up. He's been craving human connection for so long. I mean, this is one of the fundamental desires we have as human beings created in the image of God. We crave connection. We want to connect with other people. And if anything keeps us from connecting with others, that's a miserable way to live. And so in this moment, Jesus reaches his hand out and he provides a human touch for him. I remember when my daughter Adeline was born a couple of months ago, the first thing the doctor did after she uh, arose or popped out, uh, the, uh, I was kind of hiding in the corner, and then, and then the doctor took the baby and just flopped her onto, onto her mom's chest, just dropped her there skin to skin, immediate contact so that bond could be formed. Craving connection is something we all desire, and it is something Jesus intends to give. So in this moment, Jesus reaches out his hand, and he touches the leper. Ultimately, Jesus has come to minister to the total person. He didn't just want to speak truth to this guy. He wanted to give connection to him. He wanted to touch him. He want, he's ministering to the total person. And you see Jesus doing all through, this all throughout the gospel. Relating to particular persons in ways where he's able to minister to their total person. Approaching individuals as individuals. Coming into a situation respecting the nuances of every individual situation. And adapting accordingly so that he could minister to the total person. And when we think about who we're becoming as a community of faith, who we are as a church, disciples following Jesus, understand that we want to engage particular persons as we minister to the total person. We want to follow in Jesus' footsteps, ministering through word and deed. We want to speak truth, and we want to touch people compassionately. We understand that there's a divide in many churches today where some are very big on word and doctrine and conversion but they're very light on touch and compassion. But then on the flip side of that, there are some churches that are very big on touches of compassion, on social engagement, but they've abandoned orthodoxy. They've abandoned the gospel. We as a church don't want to be pushed into one of those two lanes because we see in Jesus their convergence. He ministered through word and deed, truth and grace. The total person he engaged in particular kinds of ways, and you and I are going to do 
do the same. We're going to exercise compassion. We're going to extend the truth of the gospel message. We're going to engage ministry the way Jesus engages it in this moment. So he reaches his hand out and he touches the leper and then he speaks, right? He says, I will. I desire. I want your cleansing. I will be clean. And so death incarnate, this leper, comes in contact with God incarnate, and who wins? You don't see death transferring to Jesus in this moment. You don't see his uncleanliness transferring to Jesus. Instead, it goes in the other direction. The holiness, the purity, the life of Jesus transferred to him. I will be clean, understanding that Jesus' holiness is more contagious than the leper's disease. This is who our Savior is. This is why we love and trust Jesus. He has the power and the desire to make the unclean clean. Only Jesus can do this. Only Jesus can bring about this type of transformation. So if you were stunned by that bleak depiction of the fallen human condition, about you and I being spiritually alienated apart from Christ, about you and I being socially isolated, about you and I being physically disfigured on the way to death. If you're unsettled by that, let me encourage you that there is more mercy in Jesus than there is sin and defilement in you. There's no shame Christ cannot cleanse. There's no guilt Christ cannot cover. There's no fear Christ cannot overcome. This is who Jesus is. He makes the unclean clean. This is why we love him. This is why we trust him. This is why we follow him because he's done this for us. And when we read further into the story, we get a glimpse into exactly how Jesus does this. Notice in verse 43, it says, And Jesus sternly charged the leper. After he healed him, after he touched him, the leprosy left immediately. And Jesus then sternly charged him and sent him away at once. And he says in verse 44, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. He tells the leper, Now don't tell anybody what I just did because I don't want anyone to misunderstand my mission. Because if word gets out that I'm doing this and I did this in a particular way, they may come and try to either crucify me too early or they may try to crown me as king without me ever going to the cross. They're saying, so don't get the word out. Instead, go to the priest, present yourself as cleansed to him, and then follow his instructions about how to be restored into the life of Israel. And so the priest then would have given the leper, the cleansed leper, instructions drawn from Leviticus 13 and 14 about the types of sacrifices he would now do in order to be restored or cleansed to participate in worship once again. And what's interesting is if you go back to Leviticus 13 and 14 and you read through those chapters, what happens to the carcasses of the sacrifices made by those who are healed or cleaned or whatever the case may be the carcasses are taken and placed outside their sacrifice is given and then the carcasses are placed outside of the camp and you find this connection between where sacrifices go in relation to where people are engaging God in worship and so he tells the leper to go present himself to the to the priest and go through these things and You would think he would listen to Jesus after just being served so well by Jesus, but he doesn't. 
In fact, he's so exuberant, he's so excited in this moment that he disobeys. You might describe this as exuberant disobedience. He disobeys Jesus' command, but what that does, ironically, is that places a burden on Jesus. His disobedience burdened Jesus. And so what happens when you come to the end of the story is you see this remarkable reversal. You see a remarkable reversal the way this story ends. A stunning conclusion as when you come to the end and you find all of a sudden Jesus and the leper have traded places. There was a moment where Jesus could go anywhere he wanted. He could enter the synagogues openly. He could step into the worshiping community of Israel. He could go wherever he wanted. He was an insider. But after, after this moment and as a result of the leper's disobedience... Jesus can no longer go wherever he wanted. He's forced outside. And so he and the leper literally change places. He is in the situation that the leper was once in. Do you see the shift here? In order to bring the leper in, Jesus was kicked out. And all the while, we're getting glimpses and hints of the gospel that Jesus has come to proclaim, the gospel that Jesus has come to execute as the ultimate insider, as the gospel moves on, becomes the ultimate outsider. And you get a picture of how Jesus traded places with the leper. Jesus eventually died as the leper lived. You consider a passage like Hebrews chapter 13, verses 11 and 12, that describe the death of Jesus and what he's done to cleanse our fallen condition. This is what it says, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned where? Outside the camp. This is what the leper did when he went to the priest, presumably. His sacrifices were burned outside of the camp, and then the analogy is brought to Jesus in Hebrews. And we're told that so Jesus also suffered where? Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify, cleanse, restore the people through his blood. Jesus, the ultimate insider, became the ultimate outsider so that you and I can be cleansed. Our fallen condition can be remedied. Our guilt, our shame, our fear can be covered because what Jesus ultimately did when he went to the cross. And then you just think about what Jesus did on the cross. Understand that he died the way the leper lived, didn't he? On the cross, Jesus was physically disfigured. He was wounded for our iniquities. He was crushed for our transgressions. He died on the cross because of our disobedience. He was physically beaten and crushed disfigured and crucified on the cross. But you know, he wasn't only physically disfigured on the cross, he was socially isolated. Jesus died alone on the cross, cut off from his friends and family. He died in the place of shame. He died outside the camp. He died a shameful death, socially isolated as an outcast of Israel. This is how Jesus died. He died the way the leper lived. See, Jesus didn't die on a, on a comfortable bed in the home of his family and friends. He, didn't have, he wasn't surrounded by everyone he loved and who loved him. Instead, he was nailed to a cross, being hurled insults, being ridiculed, being 
ostracized from society. He died the way the leper lived. And then you know, perhaps if you're familiar with the gospel, that on the cross, not only was he physically disfigured and socially isolated, Jesus was was spiritually alienated. This is why when you get to the end of Mark's gospel, Jesus is dying on the cross. There's a moment when the sun goes out, all goes black, and Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Experiencing spiritual alienation, otherwise known as hell on the cross. Jesus died the way the leper lived. Physically disfigured, socially isolated, spiritually alienated from his father. Jesus went through hell on the cross so that those who are inflicted with the fallen human condition never have to. There's a remarkable reversal in this story. And it's the same remarkable reversal that the gospel produces in the heart of everyone who trusts in Jesus. And because Jesus died the way that he did, as a result, we then become eternal insiders. We are brought in to restored and reconciled relationship with God and one another. And these relationships thrive on into eternity. Because Jesus did what he did, we become insiders. We are brought in. So let me ask you, are you someone right now in this moment, do you consider yourself an insider? Or are you still living as an outsider? Have you trusted in the gospel of Jesus? Have you seen what he's done on the cross as beneficial to you? To cleanse you, to restore you, to rescue you? If you've yet to come to that point to see Jesus as your salvation, to see Jesus as the Christ who's capable of cleansing you, what are you waiting for? Why would you want to wait, hold back from this kind of Jesus? A Jesus who would take your place, who would reverse situations with you. You can be cleansed, you can be restored, you can be redeemed into a right relationship with God and into a right relationship with his people. So don't let social taboos hold you back. Don't let cultural discomfort keeping you, keep you from running to Jesus in desperation the way this leper ran to Jesus in this moment. If you're a follower of Jesus now, if you are someone who has got to that point where you're identifying with Christ in this way, you see his death as your death, his resurrection as your resurrection, you're trusting in him, God has given us a way to kind of illustrate that to the world. There's a reason why churches like ours practice something called baptism. Because baptism is a living illustration. It's a living parable of the cleansing work of the gospel. What we illustrate when we are baptized is is the work of how the gospel has cleansed us from the inside out. And so we go through with baptism as disciples in order to affirm that and illustrate that and profess that. And so maybe you're someone who is living in a right relationship with God. You're trusting in this Christ. You know this gospel, but yet you haven't followed through to 
to go public with your faith and to broadcast your love for Jesus through baptism. More importantly, to broadcast Jesus' love for you through baptism. And if that's your situation, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to follow through with that. You can take your communication card that you received on the way in and you can make note of whether or not you want to be baptized. You want to go forth in this kind of way. In a few weeks, we're going to be celebrating Easter together and we're going to worship the resurrected Jesus who's cleansed us and who's restored us. And one of the ways we want to worship him on that day is by celebrating baptism, by illustrating the gospel, by seeing people identify with the cleansing Christ in this kind of way. And if that's something that you're interested in, utilize that communication card. Make note of that later when we worship through giving. Just shoot that our way and we'll follow up with you to answer any questions you have about baptism, to help you identify publicly with this Jesus. My prayer is that nothing would hold us back from from this Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son into the world, the ultimate insider who is willing to trade places with us to bring us in. We thank you for the fact that we can relate to you by grace through faith in Jesus. And I pray that for all of your disciples in this room right now, I pray that that would sink into their hearts and that they would sense the warmth of your love for us, your cleansing power at work in us. And I pray for anyone who's who's yet to put their faith in Jesus. I pray, God, that you would quicken their hearts to do so in a way that would that would change lives forever. God, we thank you for your son Jesus and we pray in his name, amen.